Baltimore Radio. If I touch my shoulder, it would touch my hair. Starts now. And I said, what the hell is that? Spirits and more radio starts now. Welcome to another broadcast of Spirits and More Radio, where we discuss everything paranormal. This is a live show, so we encourage you to call in with any questions or related stories you may have at 1-872-2-GHOSTS. That's 1-872-244-6787. Welcome to the show. This is uh, Spirits and More Radio, and we're really happy to have you listening again for our third edition of this broadcast. Uh, I'm very excited. We have uh, some very interesting gentlemen with us this evening uh, to discuss the Highgate Vampire uh, story, which broke in the late 1969, early 1970 timeframe. We have with us a guest host, Freddie Valentine. Uh, with Mystic Menagerie TV, and Freddie's been investigating paranormal for as long as he can remember. Uh, trained at the Spiritualist Church as a teenager, and was a member of a Black Magic Coven for many years. Freddie, are you with us? Hello. Yes. Hello. Thank you. Absolutely, Freddie. So, um, a little background for our listeners: uh, there was a podcast that went. What was it, Freddie? About a year, year and a half. About two years we did it, uh, Mystic Menagerie, about two years we went consistently. We were doing it every every single month, and they were like four-hour shows, so there was a lot of hard work. But yeah, about two years, they're still up on iTunes, so anyone wants to hear them, they're still there. And we had some, some crazy uh, stories and some great guests on there as well, so it was very, we kept it interesting and humorous, so it was good fun to do. Yeah, absolutely, and I was a, I was a big fan of that show, and uh, it started out uh, sort of in one direction with the uh magic and mystery magic and so forth and sort of diverted off into a different direction of just anything interesting but uh, i know there were some uh quite a few listeners that enjoyed that show so i uh, wanted to invite freddie onto the show because uh, he is there in the uk and uh he was uh someone who knows quite a bit about the paranormal. So the Highgate vampire story is, is close to him. Freddie, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what uh, Highgate cemetery and this idea of a vampire on the loose in the cemetery was about? Well, it was a big media story in the 1970s in the UK. Um, Highgate Cemetery is a very old cemetery. It's very old tombs. You know, like mausoleums. They're not just like gravestones. They're big mausoleum where, where the coffins are inside. There's like little vault things. You know, there's, you can go around there and look around it. Um, quite a lot of famous people are buried there. You know, I think Douglas Adams, you know, wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's buried there. Um, and it's quite a well-known place. It's got a lot of atmosphere to it. If you go there, it's because it's Victorian. And there's these mausoleums there. You know, there's these very old graves and tombstones and you can go there and visit it now but it's a 
fascinating place. Um, the sort of place that a lot of people wouldn't want to go at night. You know, it's very, very um, atmospheric. It's like something from a Hammer horror film, basically. Um, but in the 70s, there's a lot of stories in the media about a vampire uh, being sighted there and people being, you know, attacked by it and, you know, seeing this vampire. Um, remember the 70s of the height of the Hammer horror films, a lot of a lot of paranormal stuff on TV. Um, people of my age were very fascinated by the occult, very fascinated by supernatural things. Um, and it wasn't really, like nowadays, people were trying to find a way to dismiss it or try to disprove it, you know, be sceptical. But in those days, people just presented it as it is and you either interested or not. Um, but, it, I mean, there was two very interesting people um, involved in this case. And there was, there was David Farron, um, who's the head of the London Occult Society, and there's also a, a priest called Sean Manchester, and both of them were investigating this vampire. Um, but it was like a real-life hammer story, real-life hammer horror film, like a real-life Dracula story. So, you know, you, you could say the nation was quite riveted by this story. It's fascinating. I can imagine. Uh, you know, I have seen some of the photos of Highgate, and I have to tell you, I cannot imagine spending time there alone in the evening, uh, let mm -hmm. alone on maybe a foggy night. Uh, we just don't have, maybe they're more common over there, but here in the United States, we just don't have cemeteries that look like that or uh, have that sort of history behind them. So I think that's what's fascinating as well, is there's there's a lot of history behind uh, Highgate, and uh, I, I'm excited to get into that. Uh, before we do that, Freddie, you you said yeah. that you had a vampire experience or some sort of story behind a vampire. Can you share that with us quickly? Yeah, there was a place near near where I, near where I lived when I was younger. We used to go drinking. Um, this pub It's like a countryside area, lots of fields and very old. You know, it's like a village it was, and loads of big fields there. But there was like a woodland there, and there was a story um, that people were saying that there was allegedly a vampire there. Um, and what it was, there was a, there was like a bridge, like a small bridge and underneath. You could walk under this bridge. It wasn't like water underneath. It was like mud. But even in the summer, the height of summer, at the hottest time, it was always damp underneath this bridge. And apparently what happened, this, this guy had killed his girlfriend under this bridge and, and then drank her blood. Um, and, the, and apparently he was a vampire, allegedly. You know, it's, that's the story that went around the locals, you know. Um, and I went to this pub once. This guy said he was chased by this vampire that, that actually attacked him. And he came in the pub shake, shaken up, this bloke, and he's never the same afterwards. And me and my friend went there one night, really late at night with torches, as you would do, at two in the morning, trying to find this vampire. Um, and something came running at us. It was like a person with glowing red eyes. Um, just come running, and we just ran, do you know what I mean? But it came like it was going to attack us underneath this bridge, just come running at us. But the eyes were glowing like, you know, like coals. You see coals in the fire, like hot embers. It's like that kind of thing, like a burning uh, look to it. And we just ran. But that, that apparently was the vampire, you know, that we, that's all we can assume. Uh, and we hadn't been drinking much that night either. So, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, we were very, very, very psyched up to go there, do you know what I mean? And uh, but there's so many stories about this, you know. Uh, but I did try to look in the like, local papers and try and find a history about the story of it, but I couldn't find anything. It's only what word of mouth and people said. But, yeah, this thing, come out, I mean, it's trying the life out of us because we've never seen anything like it before. But we don't know whether it lived in the woodland or whether it came from, but it had glowing red eyes. But it was so dark, you could see like a shadowy figure with these glowing eyes coming running at us. Um, it's quite terrifying. Right. Uh, I can imagine that it would be terrifying. It sounds as though you got more than you were expecting when you got there. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt we, we, we did turn up with bits of wood and stuff like that and uh, crucifixes and stuff in case, the typical horror film stuff. But it was so fast. It was moving at almost like an inhuman rate. You know, like how a human can run fast. This was moving really rapidly, really fast, you know, like zipping around. It was, it was very, uh, very odd, very eerie. Um, right. Still to this day, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but... It sounds... and. It seems, you know, there's there's a lot of um, blurring of the lines between the what we think of as a horror movie vampire and 
uh, some of these entities that people may be experiencing. And I think that's what uh, David, uh, who's with us, uh, is going to talk about uh, just now. David, welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. So, David, you are the president of the British Psychic and Occult Society, uh, and you were a witness to this famous supernatural event there in northern London, um, known as the Highgate Vampire. And uh, to this day, you still live there in Highgate. Is that right? Yeah, I was actually born in Highgate. I was born in a very old Victorian house in Highgate itself. Uh, I think it was built in 1869, to give you some idea. And I was brought up here, and um, I went to school locally. And uh, I should say that in the late 70s, uh, sorry, the late 60s, I actually founded the British Psychic and Occult Society. And then the sole purpose of that society was to investigate <clears throat> cases of unexplained phenomena, uh, ghosts, if you like, apparitions, entities. Uh, and I really dedicated my life to doing that at the time. And it's still very much the same to this day. So, so David, if you uh, can take us back to that time in your life uh, prior to the Highgate Vampire case, and uh, even sort of before you founded the society, uh, at what point in your life did you take an interest in the paranormal and uh, go in a direction that's beyond what most people do uh, to actually found a society and sort of dedicate yourself to that? Was there a specific moment in time or incident that changed your life and pushed you in this direction? Well, yes, I, sh I should say, really, that my mother was a member of the Spiritualist Church. She attended two churches here locally. Um, I understand they're still functioning. They're still open. And um, I was actually, I was very, very young, but she used to go to the meetings regularly, and sometimes she'd come back to the old house and she'd bring back, well, friends with the people she'd met there for coffee. And I was used to it from a very early age. And I suppose you could say that's really what got my interest in the whole subject. Um, this quest to sort of find out what lay beyond normality, the material world, it wanted to find out the actual meaning of all these things and try and find out if there's any truth in them. Uh, and, and at that time, David, was there uh, others like you who you associated with and found shared your curiosities and were willing to participate and explore the possibility of contact with the other side and spirits and apparitions and things of that nature? Yes, there was a quite a large group of us. As I said, we were much, much younger in those days. But in interest spread by word of mouth. And, well, you know what? I say kids. We were young adults, really. But our interest spreads. And 
we got together and we were looking into local cases because um, Highgate's a very old community um, especially Highgate Village which is has quite a few listed buildings it hasn't changed much for say hundreds of years uh, and the attitude of the people hasn't changed much either either it's not like you're actually in london it's like you're in a little village community uh and stories and words spread very very quickly among those people and so when when the press eventually there were also stories at that time going back to highgate cemetery as far as i remember remember even at that age there were stories of a tall black figure was supposedly haunted highgate cemetery and these stories were all well known locally uh, at that stage we hadn't really found many witnesses but that was to come not much later right and so that and that sounds like to me that the the whole uh, Highgate story that eventually would become so famous really is not a new story. It's a very old story, and uh, it's the attention of the common people seem to be drawn to that. Um, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, David's going to get into his involvement with the High Highgate vampire case and, and actually what uh, happened to him when he started to explore. Whoa! So, this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! You're my fave. <laughs> Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Hey there, listeners. This is Steve Rowan, your host. I hope you're enjoying this show. And if you are, I'd like to ask you to help us expand our audience by giving us a review in your podcast app. I would really appreciate it if you did that. And for doing so, I want to do something special for you. I want to offer you a free bonus hour of any one of our previous shows so if you like the alien show and you want to hear the second hour or the disneyland show or the ouija board show just take a screenshot of your review and email that to me at editor at spiritsandmoreradio.com and i will email you right back with a link to the second hour of any show you'd like thank you for listening and please share us on your facebook and retweet us now back to the show Listening to Spirits and More Radio. Have a paranormal story? Tell us at spooksandspirits.com. Something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think 
each time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down And we are back, Spirits and More Radio with Mr. David Friend and Freddie Valentine joining us from the UK to talk about the Highgate vampire case. So, David, uh, you had sound. It sounded as if as if you had really a lifetime coming up from being very young uh, involvement with the paranormal, and then sort of consistent stories coming from your neighborhood that you lived in, and then at some point you got far more serious with it. Yes, that would be right. Um, I actually, actually, obviously became familiar with all these stories about a tall, dark figure. It was known all over Highgate Village. Uh, and at the time, I should explain, Highgate Cemetery is was opened in uh, 1839. And it, it is very, very gothic looking. Uh, it is obviously a Victorian cemetery and it is full of crypts, that is places where the coffins are sort of all put together and, and belong to families and as one person dies they're, uh, they're put in their, into their own vault and when another member of the family dies they're added to the same vault and cemetery is, as I said, it was supposedly haunted by this tall, dark figure. Now, that story had been in existence a long time. And even in those days, I mean, there were reports of this figure being traced back. There were stories, rather, of this figure, and which could be traced back to Victorian times. So it was by no means a new phenomena. It was a very, very old established story, and uh, I actually, there have been quite a few sightings by local people, and they're all, all independent people, they weren't known to one another, and I met one person uh, whose name was Thornton. Now, he was an accountant. I only, only mentioned that just to give you an idea that he, he wasn't even interested in ghosts. Right. He was a, he, he'd gone to Highgate Cemetery to look around. He lived in, um, on Highgate Hill. He went... It, it, was, it, it was one late afternoon, and the cemetery was used to close when it got dark. And at that time, it, it was about seven or eight o'clock at night because it was quite late in the year and he told me i met him for lunch once uh after we learned i was trying to contact him because i heard he'd had an experience in there and the landlady of the prince of wales pub because uh, he used to go in there sometimes to have lunch she told him i was trying to contact him uh and i'd asked if you give me a phone number and to cut it short i did contact him and i met him in a very old another old pub just past the prince of wales called the red lion and sun which incidentally also had its own ghost in there supposedly 
and he told me he'd, he'd, he'd gone to the cemetery mainly just to look around because he's very interested in the architecture. He had a camera with him uh, and he, he, something quite amazing happened to him when he was in the cemetery. It was starting to get dark. It wasn't pitch black, but it was, it was, the cemetery was still open. You could see where you were going, but he became hopelessly lost in the middle of the cemetery. Mm. And he thought the best way to get back to the main gate, where there was a chapel, which had a bell on it, on the top of it, and they used to ring this bell to warn people to leave. Uh, usually, it rang on and off for about half an hour, it's, because the cemetery was very, very, in those days, it was very overgrown. It was very easy to get lost in it. And he heard the bell, and he thought the best way to get back would be to make his way towards the sound of the bell, uh, which was at the main gate. And he started to walk towards it. And all of a sudden, he told me, he became aware of something behind him. At this stage, he didn't really think of, wasn't thinking of ghosts or anything. But he, he stopped and he turned around and about eight feet away from him was the tall, dark figure. And he felt, he told me, he said it was as if he was, this figure was trying to drain him of energy. Um, he felt almost like it was trying to hypnotize him. And he stared at it for a momentarily, and in a matter of seconds, it just wasn't there, it just vanished. And it really shook him up because he, he instinctively knew it wasn't human. Uh, and he thought, he thought instinctively the best thing to do would be, be to get away with it, to get away from it. Yeah. And he, he hurried back to the main gate, and that was basically his experience, which I learned about. He told me about this. And that was really one of the first witnesses I actually spoke to. Um, and I was quite, quite convinced he was telling the truth. He was a very sincere and logical person. As I said to you, I think, he didn't even accept the existence of ghosts. Well, he was indifferent. Yeah. He was more interested in the architecture, you know, of the cemetery. But once he'd seen this, uh, well, it really, it shook him up. And... All he could think of was trying to get put as much distance of himself between himself and the, and the entity or whatever it was. And he he told me that instinctively he knew that it was a supernatural being and. He just wanted, as I said, to get away from it, or even even though it disappeared, he just wanted to get away from the location where he'd seen it. That's one of the first witnesses I spoke to. 
Did, did it make any sounds? Did you say? Did it make any sound or as any order? Did it make any noise no. at all? No, Freddie. Well, it, it was absolutely. It was not only motionless. It didn't move either. But it didn't make any sound whatsoever. Not even footsteps or anything like that at all. Yeah, and. Yeah. And I, I wonder, David, can you just let our listeners know what time frame this was in relation to sort of the media extravaganza that happened? Was this a year before that, two years, six months? I'd say it was about six months. Uh, around that time frame. Because you have to remember something else, too. Hammer horror films were using Highgate Cemetery because it was so gothic and impressive looking to make a lot of their Hammer horror movies there. And these films were international. They weren't just shown locally. They were shown all over the country. I mean, they were even shown in America. We have films like Taste the Blood of Dracula, The Body Beneath, I believe that was 1969, Tales from the Crypt, and Dracula AD 72, obviously that was released in 1972. Right. And, and, and David, if I can ask, is uh, you say that you had at one point explored uh, far back into the history of Highgate and that there was some links to these uh, concept of vampirism. There was a story uh, which occurred... I believe it was in 1850-something, uh, very, very old, um, not far from the cemetery. And there was a man who was staying in London, and he actually was... It was actually a Christmas Eve, because it, he, was visiting, he was visiting a friend near... his acquaintance near Highgate Cemetery, and he talks in this report about how they were sitting down sharing brandy because obviously it was on the eve of Christmas. Yeah. And as he left the house, uh, it was a bitterly cold night. And not only that, it was all ice and snow. Very difficult to walk on the pavement uh, without slipping, really. And he said that he he saw a figure. So all of a sudden, he became aware of a again a tall, dark figure, and it just followed him. But it, as Freddie just said, it was it was made no sound whatsoever. And he became aware that every time he took a step forward or went forward a little, this thing was keeping up with him. It was sound soundless, and he just knew it was following him. And he he slowed down a bit, and then the creature, or the thing, slowed down. Uh, and it was at this stage he started to panic because he realised whatever it was wasn't human, and it was almost gliding just above the ground. It wasn't really interested. It didn't. Wasn't. It was as if it wasn't even aware of the ice. It was just above the ice. Uh, and he stopped, and he challenged it at one stage. 
half convinced it, it could have been a human being, but more inclined to think it was supernatural. And he swore, he swore at it and said, why are you following me? What do you want? Uh, and it didn't answer, but it just stopped still. And when eventually he held on walking, the figure followed him again, again making no sound. Um, and sort of imitating his every move. If he stopped briefly, the figure would stop. Uh, and if he carried on going, the figure would start to catch up again. And he, he, he was so concerned about it. As I said, he actually spoke to it. Yeah. But it didn't answer him back. It just stopped and kept looking at him, which seems very consistent with later reports of the entity, because that's what it, it... It doesn't usually address people or talk to them, but it, it, it tries to make contact with them, almost like a silent communication. Like a psychic communication, like telepathy or that kind of thing, do you think? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly wasn't friendly. He got the distinct impression that whatever it was was malign. Uh, I think that's one of the first reliable... Well, I say that person's obviously dead now because this was in 1850-something or other. And I only came across this report when I was researching, uh, trying to trace the entity back as early as possible. And that was actually written up by this person. He was so sort of perturbed about it. He wrote to a local newspaper back then, and he described his, his experience in, in much, more, much more detail than I just have done to you. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I think that what we're going to do is we're going to take a break right now. And when we get back, David, if you could start to walk us through uh, the investigation that you put together in Highgate and what you did with you and uh, others that were working with you. We'll be right back. And now it's time for Haunted Places. The RMS Queen Mary entered service on May 27th, 1936. No expense was spared during construction of this massive ocean liner. It was a ship of elegance and grandeur. The ship's capacity as a luxury transport was cut short by war, at which time it was repurposed as a military transport. During that time, it was painted gray in color and often dubbed as the Grey Ghost. More than just a name, the ship has suffered fair share of deaths throughout history. These accidents are believed to be the foundation for ghostly sightings over time. In particular, but low deck level at emergency door number 13, where John Petter was crushed during routine operations. Many report seeing a white mist at this spot in the shape of a man. 
Just as disturbing are the sounds of banging on the ship's hull, along with sounds of screaming. In October 1942, the Queen Mary collided with a much smaller ship, cutting it in half, with over 300 of its passengers dying at sea. It is believed these sounds still haunt the ship from that tragic event. The RMS Queen Mary is currently docked in Long Beach, California. With a fully operational hotel on board, you can spend a little time with its most infamous spirits. Hey, if you're like me, when you first went to get a fog machine, you had no idea which one to get. I mean, you can get one for 30 bucks all the way up to a couple hundred bucks. Well, listen, HalloweenPartyDeals.com takes the guesswork out of which fog machine is going to be best for you. Go on there, check out what they have to say about them. They'll help you get exactly what you need. All right, that's HalloweenPartyDeals.com. HalloweenPartyDeals.com. And we are back with Spirits and More Radio. You can join in the conversation at 1-872-244-6787. And uh, you can also go to the, the broadcast website of Spirits and More Radio, where you can listen to previous episodes and sign up for the podcast. We're joined with Mr. Freddie Valentine with Mystic Menagerie TV and David Ferrant, president of British Psychic and Occult Society. We're discussing the Highgate Vampire case from the late 60s, where David Ferrant was there and witnessed specific beings and supernatural occurrences. So David, uh, you were telling us about the history of Highgate. At this point in the story, you decide that it's time to get much closer. What did you do from this point? Well, initially, I, I, I visited Highgate Cemetery because I'd heard all these stories and I'd spoken to Thornton. And I wanted to see if there was perhaps some logical explanation for it. But by that, I mean that at that time, there were foxes breeding in Highgate Cemetery. Um, and they still are to this day. And I'd gone to the cemetery because I wanted to try and find some causation. I thought maybe it was a fox that had been distorted out of all proportion. I thought even it could be uh, it could be the moon casting shadows uh, through moving branches and which were making shapes on the pavement. I didn't really know what I was looking for. I just wanted to find some logical explanation. And as I passed the top gate of Highgate Cemetery. I caught sight of something really quickly out of the corner of my eye and I looked up, looked around rather, and there was a tall dark figure, again motionless, just standing inside the top gate of the cemetery. It must have been about two or three feet inside the gate and he was just looking very silently looking towards me, motionless. And I stopped. And I had overwhelming impression this thing was aware of my presence. And initially, right at the beginning, because of all the Hammer Horror movies about ghosts and vampires, 
I thought it was maybe somebody dressed up trying to scare the other passerby as they passed by the top gate. Although the area was more or less deserted at that time of night. And I felt literally like it was it was like living a, a vivid dream. Uh, mm. When you were where you were asleep, you want to wake up, but you cannot. And I actually repeated Kabbalistic incantation, only mentally, of course. Yeah. And the area turned icy cold, and it was a bitterly cold night anyway. Uh, and I felt I was sort of being drawn into this vivid dream, and instinctively I wanted to break free of it. And after I'd finished uh, that incantation, the thing just vanished. It wasn't there. It was rather like, if you can imagine, turning off a television set. Because one minute there's a picture, and then the next minute you've just got a blank screen. Yeah. Um, and I'd have to ask David, do you, do you feel like that, at that moment, were you questioning yourself? Were you wondering what did I just experience? Is, there, is this really an entity in front of me? Uh, I can imagine that finally seeing the thing that people had been talking about so much uh, must have been uh, overwhelming. Well, I realized, I realized immediately that I was witnessing the same thing that had been described by other people. Yes, there's no doubt about that. But initially, right at the beginning, I did think it could have been a person dressed up a human being. Yeah. But it, it all happened so quickly, it changed. Then I felt I was being drained of energy. Then I felt I was falling into this sort of unwanted dream. And how do you? F yeah, sorry. So, sorry. How do you feel after? How did it make you feel like? In, did it make you feel cold or eerie, or was there a feeling you had when this happened? I felt very well. Obviously, physically cold, but I felt inwardly cold, like I witnessed something that uh, that proved to me that all these stories about this, whatever it was, were true. Um, except the parts, except the part, parts about it being a vampire. It wasn't a vampire. It was just a, I don't know what we, how would you describe it, an earthbound apparition. I yeah. think got the I got the impression it was trapped to the earth, meaning it would probably appear in the same spot or around that that location. It also, David, I can imagine it also sounds like there was not necessarily an evil tinge to this entity, as some describe a feeling of evil when they experience something like this. By your description, if I understand you correctly, this entity was sort of malevolent in its existence, yet aware of others' awareness, so to speak. Absolutely, there's no question. It was aware of me. Uh, it was rather as if, in that respect only, though, it, it was alive. It, it, it's rather like being confronted by a living person. Only, as, as I said to you, it wasn't human. 
Do you think if it's like a spirit of someone that was buried there and like that, it's more like an entity as such? I'm quite convinced. I don't think it is the spirit of someone that's buried there, no. Uh, but I certainly got the impression that it, at this particular point in time, there were a group of Satanists using Highgate Cemetery. And their rituals have been discovered, well, for some years prior to this. Um, and they were a dedica dedicated group of people. They weren't the sort of Satanists you read about in the news of the world, or used to read about in the news of the world when it was still going. Yeah. They weren't people just dressed up in robes trying to get publicity. There were a serious group of people who were actually using the vaults in the Highgate Cemetery to perform their rituals. I actually discovered one of these the remains of, of this ceremony in a very, very small vault right near the back of the cemetery. There were no coffins in it, but it had a marble floor. And on that floor, this group had inscribed an inverted pentagram that is a five-pointed star, which most people know. Uh, if something like that is reversed, it's invariably used for black magical purposes. They're on the floor, and also there are the burnt-down stubbers of black candles, which had obviously been used uh, yeah. consistently for some time, because you could see all the wax had run off the candles and run onto the marble floor. And I'd say the candles were as big, as thick, rather, as a wine bottle at the bottom. Right. Uh, and there, there was only about six inches of these candles left, so that's what gave us the impression that that particular vault had been chosen to perform these ceremonies in. No. So you never actually seen this group at all? you never seen them about or heard about them? They were just a very mysterious... You knew their present from the remnants you found rather than actually knowing about them anyway. Well, I began to get... Uh, I, I was writing articles about the local phenomena at this time. And I wrote a very, very scathing article on the dangers of black magic. Um, I said it was a dangerous practice that invariably attracted the young and a lot of them were just attracted to it for some sort of daredevil instinct. Yeah. And I actually said in one of my articles that there's a very strong possibility that the figure seen in Nugget Cemetery could have been as a result of the practices of these people, meaning that they were tuning into something beyond themselves and it somehow released something which had become earthbound. Uh. And no, I, that's why I don't think it was the spectre of anyone buried in the cemetery. I think it was called back to earth. Sure. I, I see. Through these big the rituals, yeah. Right. David, can you um, walk us through the timeline as far as your writing these articles locally and 
then what was to become a very big story within the community as far as the vampire was concerned, uh, as far as uh, uh, people sort of attaching that label and then the whole thing going wild, so to speak. Yes, the whole thing did go wild, but I, as I said to you, there was a, it's, this is very important for people to understand. There were already reports about this figure that had been seen by so many local paper. Prior to even me seeing it, or prior to Thornton seeing it, and it was, it was, well, Thornton saw it, then I witnessed it myself, which really convinced me that the stories were true. I discovered the remains of this satanic ceremony in there, which incidentally had, was very, very carefully thought out. There was a circle within a triangle, and in the circle were adorned the symbols of Mars, Saturn, and the moon. That's the new moon, the black moon. Uh, and in those, in that combination, those symbols are fairly lethal. That was just the first sort of indication. And I, the timeline for that, when I was writing the articles, this would have been 1971 and 1972. I mean, I had quite a big article in the then Islington Gazette. It was a page article. It was in this article that was warning about the dangers of, of Satanism, black magic. Um, and it was a pretty scathing article. I didn't really do them any favours, but... Uh, and the date of that article was September 1972, I believe. I started to get letters from these people once I published the fact that the cemetery was being used by a group of serious practitioners. And I got these letters, but the, this was in the days when the uh, postal system used to be divided into areas. You don't do it anymore, it's all central. You can't really tell where a letter come, comes from. But in those days, were, the letters were clearly stamped Highgate, uh, Southgate, uh, Finchley, all areas, all areas in the immediate vicinity of Highgate Cemetery were not far from it. And so that's what gave us the well, the clue, if you like. Right. So it sounds like the, the whole media frenzy labeling this event a vampire on loose was uh, maybe very uh, compelling to the greater London area and even further, but more of an annoyance to you trying to attempt to investigate this thing. Suddenly you've got, you have this media frenzy surrounding you. Uh, how was that for you from your perspective to, to deal with that? Well, it took a lot of dealing with as such because I, because of all that, I sort of got branded as a vampire hunter 
and I never actually even says I never even said it was a vampire. I, I stuck to what I'd always said. It was just an unexplained, albeit malignant, probably unexplained phenomenon. And and it was. I mean, there was. Sorry that there were people coming forward. Once the press introduced the word vampire into it. Uh, and they only did that because of all the Hammer Horror movies that had been made there previously. And these films by Hammer were shot there in... Well, they were shot in the daytime. They weren't, sh they weren't shot at night. And... There was proof that... That, let me put it this way there was no proof rather that this entity was a vampire the only vampire that existed were the actors in Hammer Horror movie films dressed up with it right and it sounds like even as um, insidious as that label is, there truly was something there to be afraid of for the locals. We'll be right back after this to talk more with David Ferrant uh, after this moment. Spirits and more radio. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. back with spirits and more radio and we are talking about the highgate vampire case or rather the entity that was haunting that particular cemetery uh for quite some time now with us uh david friend who was an eyewitness to this entity as he has described uh, david can you move just a bit beyond this particular uh, case in the cemetery. Can you say whether or not the entity has continues to be spotted at the, uh, currently today? Oh yes, certainly. Uh, the last time, to my knowledge, I believe, was about a year ago, um, and it was witnessed by a lady called Patsy Langley, and I named her because I'm. I named her in my book, and she also spoke at the Highgate Vampire Symposium, which I held in 2015. Uh, and quite a few people came forward, including just talk at that symposium, including, very importantly, two guides from Highgate Cemetery itself. The guide I'm thinking about in question, and again, I've got her, I've got her permission to name her. Uh, was one called Sam Perrin. Now she, she, she'd been in the cemetery, holding tours for about 12 years, and this wasn't that long ago, in terms of time. It was only a year, a few years back. 
she was by the top gate inside Highgate Cemetery because she she was working. She she'd gone up there to look, look in a small lodge there to get something. She actually said, and she said this in public. Um, she said that she was a, she, she was near the top gate, but obviously on the inside of the cemetery. And all of a sudden, she said something just descended on her. The whole atmosphere turned, and she said it was as if the clouds were closing in on her. Uh, and she tried to. She tried not to run, but she instinctively thought she's got to get back to the main gate and the small chapel because she, she just didn't know what was happening. So all of a sudden she started to, to run as fast as she could. And she, well, she knew the cemetery quite well and it was daylight, admittedly, so she wasn't lost or anything. She knew where she was going, but when she got back to the main gate, her hair was covered in twigs and her clothes were covered in leaves, where she she more or less panicked. And she actually said on the, on the symposium that it wasn't her imagination. And she also brought with her two more guides from Highgate Cemetery on the condition that, I mean, I know their names, obviously, but we didn't name them because now she'd left now Highgate Cemetery, but these two guides were still there and they still are there. Uh, one doesn't do the actual tours, but he's a sort of a, a gardener and he, he keeps the cemetery up to standard cuts back branches and this sort of thing mm -hmm. and we didn't we kept to our where we didn't name the people i think we gave their first names which weren't accurate because in case it leaked out into the local press or something and i get some of see them they know who they are and he had an ex one of these had an experience by inside the top gate a little further on from where I did, but still on the path. And he described a similar atmosphere. All of a sudden, unexpectedly, out of the blue, he, he described something descending on him, and he almost passed out. Well, in fact, it did actually affect him because it, he fell to his knees. He felt he was going to fall over, and he, he, he just, he was on his knees and he described, as he looked up, he saw a black shape. It wasn't a figure as such, but it was like a black light, if there is such a thing. Yeah. Going around him. Um, and this was, this was inside the top gate again only yards from where I had actually seen the entity myself. And this was a guide who'd been there many, many years. Um, and I should point something out here. The cemetery authorities 
I mean, given their due, they've done a marvellous job in that cemetery by cleaning, cleaning it up, all the graves and all that sort of thing. They instruct their guides specifically not to answer any questions about vampires. Yeah. Understandably, all this stuff being in the press. But they even instruct their guides keep off the supernatural, don't mention any, any ghosts. I suppose it's not surprising because when they have a big tour there, sometimes people have read, read these stories in the press. If somebody asks a stupid question on a tour, such as, oh, where's the grave of the king vampire? I, I guess it could be embarrassing for the guides, you know. Right. Yeah. So, David, um, can you... Did you ever, you probably never anticipated that nearly 50 years later, this particular moment in your life would continue on, sort of much like a vampire. It, it isn't seeming to die, is it? No, it's not. It's, it's going on and on and on. As I said to you earlier, I think, I think I said anyway, when all this stuff broke in the press, a lot of people were trying to... Uh, cash in on it too. Uh, so many different stories circulating. Uh, people making claims to the press and all this sort of thing that it was a literal, literally that it was a real live vampire. Really playing up the aspect of it being one, uh, being a dangerous being that could bite, bite people. And of course, all this sort of thing played its part in keeping the whole thing going. As far as I was concerned, it was just an earthbound phenomenon, uh, somehow had been bound to the earth, somehow probably been released by the ceremonies performed by this group of Satanists who were practicing regularly in there. Right. Now, can I ask you, have you, you did go on, and we're, we're really short on time, we won't, we unfortunately won't be able to get into some of the more, uh, some of the other stories that you have to share uh, well beyond this one, but can you say if you have ever come across, since that time, somewhere other than Highgate, a similar type of entity in your investigations? No, I can honestly say that Highgate Cemetery entity is exceptional. Of course we've investigated things and seen things, but nothing like that. I mean, I've, I've actually been in haunted houses, obviously, with permission. I've actually witnessed things falling off shelves as if pushed by some invisible hand. I've witnessed changes in temperature, measured changes in temperature too, after these had occurred. Um, I don't, I, can, I cannot stress enough, it was these vampire, it was the word, the very word vampire that really encouraged all these stories in the press. I mean, because the press love 
what they saw was a real live vampire in Highgate Cemetery. Uh, and also there were a couple of people who were attacked by the main gate. Yeah, what, what, well one was by the main gate and the other was up near the top gate where I witnessed the entity. Ah. And to this day, I would imagine that people still feel that entity as you described. Um, we are unfortunately out of time, so we will have to go. But it was a fascinating story, David. Thank you for sharing it. And thank you, Freddie, for adding to uh, the conversation. Yeah. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, I hope we have the chance to get into some of the further investigations you've done. David, at some point in the future, uh, I think that people have a great understanding of the entity that still exists today in Highgate. Uh, and uh, I, I can't imagine encountering something like that. But apparently, uh, if I were to, I would not be alone. This is a 3K Media and Publishing production. Thank you, everyone. And join us in two weeks for our next show. Soaks you to the bone Maybe I just wanna